My next guest, James Owen Roberts, is the CEO of his very own Amputee Empowerment Coaching Organization. James is also the creator of the AMP Method, host of the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and a TEDx speaker. It is our pleasure to welcome this two-time Paralympic athlete, Mr. James Owen Roberts. Hey, James, how are you today? Very well, Rick, and thank you for finally having me on the show. Finally, we are here, and it's a Friday. It's not the weekend, but it feels good because we are on we are on together now, and I know I've been chasing you a bit for a while, and here we are, and I appreciate you being here today. It's good to see you. Can you tell the audience in what part of the world you are right now? I'm re- I'm residing in, in North Wales, so the United Kingdom, for the people that are not aware of, of North Wales. And what's your, what's your uh, weather situation right now? We're actually very cold here in Chicagoland in the U.S., What's it like for you right now? What what what's relatively cold, Rick? Well, we're we're well. We've been having some mild temps, but right now it's I I think we might get up to about twenty seven, twenty eight degrees. Yeah, yeah, that's cold. Yeah, <laughs> that's very very. Um, let's see. Let's try to work out in Fahrenheit. Probably about say low sixties. Okay, get, venturing up to this. It's, it's warming up gradually. That's um, not that's not too bad, actually. We're we're believe it or not, we're actually very fortunate right now because usually, in uh, we're taping this episode in February, and usually at this time of year, uh, we're usually either in a polar vortex or we're experiencing wind chills that are below zero. So this is somewhat of a blessing that we're having some of these milder temps, and we're sort of climbing into those 40s and 50s now. And I'm hoping that trend continues. But as Chicagoans will tell you, just when we think that we're out of the woods, that's usually when we get hit with a really big snowstorm and then we're two feet under snow and nobody can nobody can drive and it just becomes a disaster for everyone. So I feel very, very lucky. I've done a lot of research on you. I certainly follow you online and you are very, very generous with yourself, with the content that you speak about in terms of your own story and what you've been through um, as a lifetime person, as an amputee, someone with a limb difference. For me, being a young amputee of about six years, I look at people like yourself and I'm fascinated because You've been in this experience a very, very long time. Your perspective is very different from my own. Uh, I had a life with all my limbs for, you know, really in truth, you know, 40-something years before all these changes happened to me. So, so much of my my path was was making those adjustments to to create uh, what was a new normal for myself. But your normal was pretty much from birth. And I think the, the, the place that I want to go with you first, I do want to get into all the exciting things that you're doing with your coaching and the AMP method and all the different things that you offer your community of supporters and clients and people like that. 
but I want to give our listeners a little bit more about you in terms of the backdrop of your life and where you came from. I think there's a lot of that that is very relevant. And these are the things that I'm most often asked about when people talk about amputees like yourself. So Mm -hmm. I think where I want to go is what challenges that you recall as a child, what challenges, whether those were physical, mental, otherwise, what challenges were those when you were coming up as a young kid? The earliest recollection that I have, and obviously you've read the obviously the one that my my, my parents have had, um, but the earliest recollection that I've got to memory, and it's only because it's been recanted to me numerous times, is being in the playground. You know, and uh, I I probably would have been about early elementary school, so about I don't know maybe six, five, six, seven years old. Of I would literally sat on the side watching my my friends and my peers play on the monkey bars. And obviously, we fast forward 30 odd years later, you and I, anybody that's obviously in the 30s would agree that's pretty mundane. It's it's a pretty easy given task. Uh, But back then, if you're not obviously included with your friends, you feel quite alienated. I did, I did, I didn't. But um, the, the story goes that I don't know why my mom was in the playground. I didn't see her. Um, and she literally recalls it as you could see the cogs turning in my head. How do I overcome this, this challenge and adapt it to myself? And literally that way of thinking has been paramount to how I behave and react to situ- situations 30 years later as well. So it's okay. I can't do it like everybody else because obviously it doesn't matter if your arm let or have a arm prosthetic, they're a nuisance. They're they're they get in the way sometimes. So to be able to just play on a junk jungle gym for me was gonna be an obstacle. Uh and I overcame it within probably two or three days of okay, I can see how everybody else is doing it. I won't be able to do it that way. I'm gonna be able to have to do it my way. And then that serves me up until later on in, in uh, later on in, in elementary school, like fifth or sixth grade, running up the slide the wrong way. Obviously, the health and safety people would be going nuts. But I wanted to overcome that to the, to mm-hmm. literally that. Okay, how how am I going to be able to do it? Because I can't propel myself up with being above the knee, uh, like everybody else. And and when I, I I did that, I was like, I was amazed. I was like, oh wow, I've, I've managed to achieve this. I didn't think I'd be able to do it. And if we go back to probably the, the earliest recollection of any challenges, probably for my for my mother in particular, but to be told that your son in this occasion or daughter, uh, based on what's being presented medically, never going to walk, is probably not very great news. That's, I won't say my mother hid it from me, but she didn't want to detract from what the ability that was given um and i think we discussed it when i was maybe a teenager what 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 were some of the setbacks that i could have faced so literally if i had been told that i'd have believed it so uh words are very powerful in, in in that way and i think it definitely helps me in my line of work now because it's like well okay what you believe 
okay, where does that come from? Because that's not me thinking I won't be able to walk. That's the medical profession going on their point, their their professional opinion. Oh, in in all the scenarios that we've seen down the years, this is what should occur. My my family chose to kind of go. Well, we're not going to tell him, and then obviously the sky is the limit. So technically, I probably shouldn't be able to walk because I'm missing so many bones in that leg, and obviously it's 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 not it's only half of it. Yeah. So. I've never probably listened to things like that because it's like that's literally somebody saying no. Well, okay, I think watch, the watch, I think the first me. word that that comes to mind for me when you talk about you know those cogs turning, you're you're watching other kids. We we all want to participate when we're young, and we see those things happening. Um, the first word that comes to my mind is adaptation. So. When we see something that conventionally might not be the right fit in terms of a puzzle piece in our life, then we start to think of how do I make this work for me? You know, talking about going up the slide, you know, the opposite direction, participating in a certain way that you can still feel as if you're part of something. Mm -hmm. um, I think as a kid for myself, I always sort of went into this space, which is probably not the best, but it served me pretty well, was thinking, I just want to be normal. That word normal was always kind of pinging in my head. Normal. I want to be normal. I want this to feel normal. I want to, I want to be able to say I'm like the other kids. I'm normal. And obviously, you looking down at your person and saying, I'm not normal. I'm not the same as everyone. However, through adaptation and through what I perceive from you as sort of an iron will to do things. But what I want to add to, to what you're saying, Rick, is I, I did think like that for a long time in yeah. terms of why can't I be normal? Why can't I be like everybody was, has all functioning limbs? And it wasn't until about 16 maybe 17 that I kind of went Psh, nah, I don't want to I don't want to think like that because it, it, it's detracting from me and I think once I become more comfortable with the disability and what it shows to to, to the terminal none of those words bother me at all now uh -huh. it's like it's it's a label it doesn't mean anything but I think speaking to other people within the amputee community or disabled people. Some people are very, very staunch. Oh, I don't like the word handicap. I don't like the word disabled. I don't like the word blah, 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 blah. And you're thinking, well, at the end of the day, it's a definition in a dictionary. It's a word. It, 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 it doesn't define who you are. And I'm not going to go and use some of the, you know, the, the, the really, really very bad language for what disabled. I'm not going to go down that route. But as in, I could literally go down that way if I wanted to, to be able to make a point. But because I've taken a, a harsh look and a stance look at, at myself as, okay, I'm not normal. But all of those, well, they're all adults now. They view me in a certain light of, gosh, job. I, I, I'm not going to put words into their mouths or, or thoughts into their heads. But they probably would love to be in my position. 
Uh-huh. 20 years later to kind of go, oh, James traveled the globe. He's done something that he loved. Yeah. And what ki- what mo- what most sporting kids wouldn't literally chop their arm off to be able to have to be put in that position. I had the luxury of being able to fulfill what was not only an ambition, but it was a dream I wanted to do as, gosh, as a, I'm probably like a five-year-old. I got the opportunity to be, because of the disability, to be able to go from strength to strength to strength. Okay, I didn't view disability sport very well 25 or nearly 25 years ago to now if it wasn't for for it, I wouldn't be speaking to you. I wouldn't be able to. it, it, It literally is open doors and has made my life I wouldn't know what to make of it maybe 20 years ago. So if I could talk talk to myself 20 years ago to say, this is the journey you're going to go on. Obviously, don't make the same mistakes again. Uh, (laughs) But this journey is going to be amazing and take everything in and soak it up when you get the opportunity. Obviously, I can't live in an altered reality, but that's where I would go. And I utilize that now in in my coaching role to kind of go to probe into some of these things of okay why do you feel the way you do why do you think the way you do and let's go a level deeper to not just accept the the behavior and habits that you exhibit now as your own as Mm -hmm. in it's going to come from some sort of environmental factor in the past it could be your parents belief it could be the way that you were taught at school it could be religion it could be whatever and it's going to shape people's way of thinking and obviously i've done that myself through coaching to be having that awareness and foresight to kind of go okay where where does some of my beliefs come from where why do i think a certain way to to the point that I'm having some of these conversations with my own family. Uh, and I had a conversation, um, I think it was last week with my mother. Cause she's like, do, do, do I manipulate the way that you think this is my mother speaking? I was like, no, we think it's the exact same way, but I, to how I got there is probably completely different. Like, yes, there's going to be some bias that I'm going to inherently have, being like a sponge in in my earlier formative years, yes, I'm not going to dispute that because between the ages of zero and seven years old, I found this fascinating when I found it out. The child doesn't know between what's real and what's what's a dream. So literally they they don't know what's reality and what what is it when they're sleeping, which is probably a good thing because that's why they've got such such imaginations to kind of go, I want to do this in, in later life. Yeah. And it's only through other people's uh, literally saying, oh, no, you can't do that. Why don't you focus on something else? And then I think eventually you kind of succumb to it because it's like, oh, they're right. Whereas if you were to challenge that all the way along, kind of go, well, no, no, no. That's what I want to do. What what it is you're doing is that's your thought process that you don't think you can do that. So let that not stop me to do what I want to do along the way and i think once we reach probably junior junior high middle school and beyond this is obviously being 
altered because people are kind of going, well, you can't do that. You're not the one in, say, the professional athlete in the US. Things like 0.1% that's going to make it. But if you believe that statistic, oh, I'm not, I'm never going to make it. But for the few that do, they don't believe it. It's like, yeah, I'm going to defy those odds because ultimately the people that are most scared of you succeeding are probably those people telling you not to do it in the first place because they'll be kind of go, oh. oh I, I want to believe that you are you were a pretty active kid, correct? Pretty yeah. active. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what were the what were the sports that you gravitated towards, even at a very um, young age? Gosh, now I got to think about this, Rick. Now, um, th- th- I gravitated towards. Uh, most people won't know this. I actually did uh, karate to start off with to uh, instill some sort of d- discipline into myself. Um, it. I thought I was a naughty kid and misbehaved in 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 the in the dojo. That wasn't the case. My mom said it was the the original. Um, I called him an instructor. Um, sensei, sensei, that's the word I want to use. He was very adaptive. He he viewed obviously. I'm not going to treat James any differently from any other kids that are in that are in there, and we're going to try and adapt him to. So I could do four roles and things like that. So you shouldn't. I I had no no, apps. I, I had no filter in terms of well, I'm going to throw my. I could have hurt myself with having a prosthetic <laughs> yeah. on, uh, but. Because I thought I was being inherently undisciplined and unruly, that wasn't the case. It's actually the the next center that came in. He was unwilling to do that. Mm. And when I've I've only learned that in later life, because my mom went, "No, it's it's the, the other person wasn't willing to accommodate you, and and them thinking outside the box." So that's probably why I misbehaved and then went from there. So I only I never got up my dance. Uh, I, I was only a white belt, but I think my first competitive sport would have been 10, would have been temping bowling. So obviously it's a massive sport in the US. Okay. And you, can you go to college and it, it and the, well, I don't say the rest of the, over here it's more recreational and, and it's not done for, for competition. So I did that for 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 13. I might have done it until like 14 years old, but I started swimming at 11. And they obviously interfered with each other. In, the, in those in do. those early years, when you were sort of finding yourself as an athlete, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when I talk to people like yourself, uh, sort of career, let's say say career type athletic people, being active, being in competitive sport has been a thing for for most of their life. That that they've spent you know decades developing their bodies, developing their mind developing all their tools to be able to operate on those levels. When you were first finding yourself in that space, who who was someone that you feel was a big motivator or inspiration for you? I'd say my mother. Your mother. Because she backed me to high heaven. And yeah. literally, um, and we've had a conversation recently uh, about my business as well. She said, it's the... Uh, that's your decision. I'm going to back you. At 30, nearly 37 years, I never thought I'd hear that again at 37. Yeah. Uh, but I must be doing something right for her to have the same regard as she had as when I was a child. Mm. As If you're going to give a, 
I'm going to say 100% because I don't like 100% when people say 110% because it's impossible. <laughs> if you give 100% to, to this venture, I'm going to back you. So that was probably my earliest person that, that, that supported. And then um, I've had loads of coaches down the years from Billy Pye that was my, my coach um, when I once I made it into British swimming and I moved over to the UK to go to university uh, to um, Andrew Williams in rowing, same when I moved over. Uh, but I think the the main player is no longer no longer with us because he mm. um, unfortunately died before the new year. I would have been Anthony Hughes. That okay. literally, for me, considering he was my performance director within Disability Sport Wales, is more like a family member to me. So mm. to hear the news of his passing late last year, I was like, gosh. The legacy that he's left for be it myself and and the ones that may be still hanging on to their careers is we've got to we've got to keep that going we've got to keep that legacy going that he was like at the forefront of uh disability sport in this country that he took no literally took no for what why can't they be viewed on equal measure like the olympians and i think obviously we've it's finally been able to be done uh, with the, the with the games in in London 2012 that people were getting the recognition that they're no longer viewed as disabled athletes; they're viewed as athletes. And maybe from the general populace, people can relate more to those individuals because there's more adversity in common than say the Olympian, because the Olympian is like, well, the, the model of the Olympian is higher, higher, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. Most people are not going to get to that level in reality because the the herd's going to get thinner and thinner and thinner as higher you go up. Whereas the the disabled community, say like yourself, you could get injured tomorrow. You might then join that movement. And I think for him, the, the impression that he made on my career from the very naive James at 16 years old coming to something that is... I knew nothing about. I obviously knew I was disabled, um, but disability sport didn't get the coverage that I think that it deserves now, because people people within the media didn't view it as equal. I will give just give them two hours. Uh, and this was the Paralympics in, I believe Sydney, and in Athens, I think a little bit more, but that's only twenty years ago. And when did the so Paralympics to, become part of your life? When, when when was that officially happening? Uh, it would have been when did I join? So it'd been about two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Okay. To it was only because one of my coaches, because I'd be up until that point, I'd been in able bodied sport my entire life, so I'd never seen anybody like me. Um, I obviously knew I wasn't unique and, and special in that way because there's got to be somebody that's similar some way, but I'd never encountered them. Uh, so I'd gone to practice as normal, and one of my coaches said, what are your thoughts on disability sport? So that conversation alone changed my life. Yeah. Do Do I view it as malice? Do I view it as they had the best intention for me? I don't know. I'd have to sit down with them now and kind of go, what was your, they won't obviously tell me if it was malice because nobody's going to admit to, 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 to kind of going, well, you don't belong here because you're different. Yeah. Let's put and you over here. Obviously I excelled in that one because 
there's a lot of people that got parents that are very pushy that they the parent wanted more than the, I love to beat those kids because it was fun because it's literally putting the proverbial middle finger up to the parent <laughs> like hey you shouldn't be losing to James but okay if I'm better than him it doesn't matter I've got one leg so it so it makes it worse so those those were um it's a motivation that's I inherently I had externally because I was more more pleased with beating people than beating my personal best and I would I would say to people that's not going to last because obviously those embers are going to die very quickly because you 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 once you get comfortable it's like wow I'm beating people but I'm not actually pushing myself on and and I think how I'm going to define this because I've looked at it for myself on reflection as well that's that's an epitome of failure because if I'm unwilling to push my boundaries it's not that I'm scared of failure I'm I'm also scared of succeeding which is very irrational so if I don't try I don't know either venture so I thought I'd share that with I've never shared this with anybody but as in I thought I'd share that on the show because I had to kind of go, well, why, why am I exhibiting in adulthood? Why, why am I scared of a success? I'd rather, so my mindset back then, I think about 15, 16 was, well, if I don't try, I can't lose. If I don't try, I also can't succeed. So this no man's land that some people find themselves in is, I'm going to say even harsher. If everybody around you is moving forward, you're moving backwards mm. relative to them. So there is no, there's no procrastination. There's no, there's no area of me sitting still relative to everybody else. You're going backwards. So for me to think that oh, if I don't try, I can't succeed, I can't fail. Is is it annoys me because it's like well. You almost utilize it to to make to make it to make it was an excuse because if I don't try, oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, because because I I I can't have failure. Yeah, that's true. That won't be measured. One side of the argument, but it's but it but uh, but if you don't see what you're fully capable of, you can't really succeed because then if I was to have potentially not focus myself on beating other people and just beating myself, I'm going to do that anyway. Because if I can improve myself, I'm going to get faster. I'm going to get stronger. Do you feel like the so, Paralympics represented that in a way? Do you feel like that was a catalyst for you? And what did well, you... I was climbing up that, is climbing up that ladder, so to speak, as, okay, I'm now at the basement of disability sport. What's the next step? So it was almost that excitement of, okay, the the ceiling is unlimited because ultimately I'm seeing people progress on an equal footing because I was going to be at a disadvantage in able-bodied sport eventually. There's going to be people that are going to be better than me just because they've got the luxury of that extra leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's that's not maybe even funny, but as in that's a fact. Yep. Whereas I think once I moved into something that is people are on equal footing, no pun intended with that. Uh, and people are done on their ability and they're being put into to categorize into the similar disabilities. Okay. Where's this going to take me? So 
I did have a quick rise up. I was literally from being out in the wilderness in 2003. I was in a national program within the next 12 months. Okay, it was our development team. But if you'd have said to me, you'd have, you'd have made that progress so quickly. I want it to happen a little bit quicker than that. I mm-hmm. I did I'm, I could I should have made the team three months earlier than that. But I probably would have been amazed at what would the progression have made if I would have because my mom wanted me to go swimming when I was in first grade, not sixth grade, because there was two uh, twins in no not first grade second grade sorry. Two twins in the year above that happened to be black and they both were swimmers. She wanted me to tag along with them. I wish I had. Because literally, if I'd have started at, say, what would that be, six years old as opposed to 11, where would I have been at 16? Yeah. Okay, we'll never know that. But in terms of, it was a little bit of, nobody probably would guess that I was introverted or shy. I was very shy back then. I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put myself in that position. Mm-hmm. To now, I was like, well, yeah. I I did a talk at um, my one of my alumna uh, alumna uh, universities yesterday to their business school to talk about entre- what is real entrepreneurship because obviously they're only learning theory. If you re- rewinded maybe back even we'll say 10 years ago, if that opportunity would be presented, no chance. No, no, I don't want to do that. Don't want to do that. I still had judgment on myself yesterday because like, oh, what are people going to think? What should I wear? Some of that self-doubt. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm the most knowledgeable person in the room when it comes to talking about me. If they don't take on board what I have to say, that's because they're undergraduates. They're uh, the, the lecturer did to, to give them an excuse that they'd been there since nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, mm. but that that's the real world, nine to five. So Would they're going to have to get over that. At some I'm point. curious about something. You know, talking yeah, about uh, you know these these let's call them speed bumps or little roadblocks that tend to get in our way. And I I think yeah. about the amputee community, which is vast. When you become an amputee, you end up really getting immersed in this, you know, this very wide spectrum of feelings and opinions. And because we we all come in different shapes and sizes and backgrounds mm-hmm. and all these different things, it, it would appear to me that that everyone is coming at this from a different angle with a different set of resources. And what would you say is the thing that frustrates you? And be honest, you know, there's, you know, I, I, I really... Well, from a coaching perspective, well, towards the community. Um, they put an extra just amputee, hurdle. In, in... Just amputees in general. Like if you said, this is the thing that frustrates me about amputees. I think they put an extra hurdle that doesn't need to be there. So say we say a, a, a problem occurs to do with the health and fitness, and I can solve that. There's like an extra roadblock put in the way. I think, oh, why are you doing that? Why, why, why are you inherently like almost derailing progress if we can solve this issue and it it makes life better i i don't know if it's because the individual 
has not had the success that I, and because somebody put something similar to on my on my profile to, uh, yesterday about not everybody's been as fortunate as me. I'm I'm going to hold my hand up and say that's that's very much true. I'm and and I would I state. would say you know fortunate in what regard? So so what what specifically are they citing <sighs> as you have been fortunate? Probably the opportunities that I was given. So the opportunities that, that just came your way in your natural orbit, or that somebody picked you from the heavens and said, James, we're going to allow you to do all these great things. Because I struggle even with that equation. That calculus doesn't work for me because you are someone that had many disadvantages, mm -hmm. but through that adaptation, through desire, through the right kind of encouragement, you you were primed. So when the opportunities presented, as they do many of us, okay, lots of people get get op job opportunities, relationship opportunities, um, all kinds of different opportunities get put in front of us. The question becomes, which ones do we seize? Which ones do we latch on to? Because very often, someone that says, well, you were very fortunate or you had more opportunities than me, Essentially, they sometimes are blind to the opportunities that were. Well, given there's to also them. Uh, um, what's the saying? This is from uh, I watched a Gary V podcast with um, oh, what's his first name? Oh gosh, it's gonna annoy me now. Um, it is I can think of his last name, but I can't think of his first name. It's Higgins, and he's off uh, Shark Tank. Okay, they both agreed, and I'm gonna. I'm going to paraphrase because then people can go watch the episode because it's amazing. Um, that, you know, opportunity costs. So I, I agree with you, Rick, of saying that there's the, yes, I had the fortune to have all this, this success come by me, but there's a, there's a sacrifice that to obviously offset. I didn't have much of a social life mm -hmm. growing up. I didn't, I wasn't the typical teenager drinking smoking was not on the radar because i chose to to, to 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 in order to be successful and what i want to do is like well those are going to derail performance so let's steer clear of those things so it's a skill that i've had to adopt I, I, um not adapt it's a skill i've had to get good at as i've got older you know be able to speak with people being able to create relationships because I didn't have the luxury as a teenager to, well, <laughs> girls were a distraction. Then it's like, yeah, it's not. It's, it doesn't matter. This is this is this is what I want to do. Is here. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to be supportive of that goal, you can go by the wayside. Um, and a British swimming gave us a, it's a triumvirate. You've got your sport. You've got you you've got your education and you've got your social life. One of them's got to give. Mm. For me, uh, with being in obviously mainstream Europe, and I went to American high school and as a, as part of the Department of Defense, I couldn't I couldn't leave school since I was eighteen years old. Okay, I'd love to have got rid of it at sixteen if I could have like the rest of the 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 the, the guys on the team in the because they could have left school at sixteen if they wanted to. Yeah. I couldn't do that. So that's got to that's got to stay there until I get my high school diploma. Sport is what I wanted to be successful in. That's a no-brainer. That's 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 number one number one on that triumvirate. So my social life had to go. So this is a skill that I've had to get better at in my 20s and my 30s. B 
because I didn't, I, I, I was very introverted, shy, reserved. So if I didn't know you, I've got to gain trust with you. So it's going to, it's going to take months. It's going to take years to be able to be really comfortable with you. And with running a business, I can't do that. I've got to know you now. I've got to know every ins and outs of how you tick to get the best out of you and however long I've got you as, as a client or a customer or if you're even not a customer. That's that a great, that's a great segue straight away. Yeah, that's a great segue because I, I, I do want to talk about the AMP method and what is, you know, the core principles of what you're doing for amputees, advocating, training, coaching, and um, let, let's let's do somewhat of a role play and yep. you can kind of come at me like, you know, I'm, I'm this, I'm, I'm, I'm just me. I'm, I'm a relatively new amputee. And, you know, let's just, let's discuss the things that I want to do. And mm -hmm. I know that your approach is not only from uh, the physical end, you know, in terms of fitness, but you also explore uh, nutrition as well. So, um, you know, it's a multi-pronged approach. And I think people would be very well served to uh, engage you if they are, are in a place where they feel that their progress has either slowed or stopped or they're just stuck in the mud. And, you know, I'm, I'm not being judged, you know, don't, don't send me emails. I'm not judging people, but you know, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there that are stuck. I mean, that that's obvious to me. And, um, there are resources like James that can help you reach your goals as an amputee. So, you know, I'm coming to you for the first time and I'm saying, you know, James, uh, I, I feel like I'm relatively fit. I can do a lot of the things that I, I, I want to do. I, mm -hmm. I can work a 12, 14 hour day without issue. I can be in a prosthesis all day and on the weekends and usually let's say two, three nights a week. I, I even have enough energy to hit the gym and do the things that I want. But here's the thing that I'm struggling with right now. I had been sick for a period of time before my amputation, and I lost a lot of muscle, just lost a lot of muscle. So there are times where I feel like I am kind of this deflated bag, you know, like mm -hmm. I, ha I, I had this capacity for, for muscle at one time. And now I'm, I'm just kind of like more, more like skin and bones and being an amputee, I feel like that holds me back a little bit, n not, not, not a hundred percent, but enough that I'm kind of struggling to put the kind of weight back on that I can convert to muscle. Cause obviously my biggest fear as an amputee is I'm going to get heavy my limb's going to change. I'm going to gain weight in my limb. And then I'm going to struggle in my prosthesis. It's, I'm, I'm, I, I tend to get in my head like I'm this, this sort of uh, house of cards that's just going to fall apart. So you're going to you're catastrophizing them. So you're going to worst case scenario. Yep. Um, you're not alone in that wreck. I think most people, I do it as well. Because it's like, well, and I think people have to realize there's got to be something inherently on the cards for you to allow that to get to those extremes mm -hmm. of 
you know, I, I understand where you're coming from because it's a it's a fear fear of, and it's a real one of of the prosthetic not fitting, and with being in the US, there's a cost to come with that as well because, is the insurance going to cover if I have to get a new one? And it's the same if you to look people to lose weight as well. Mm-hmm. So and and it's and it, it it is very much one of it's, it's out of the person's control because ultimately the insurance company is going to dictate whether or not you get a new prosthetic whereas this is maybe where um the k1 to k4 needs to be looked at as of why shouldn't there be a k5 region if somebody wants to improve their health and well-being why why is k4 the limit why can't somebody transfer from one category to the other yeah i'm not saying i would even go out on a limb and say from k1 and going all the way to k if that if that's their trajectory that they want to go on why should somebody else dictate that so the point that i'm making in terms of you can't do it the conventional way of you know bodybuilding way of you could obviously go up on a bulk if you had two legs it's not a problem because Yes, you're going to be a bit heavier, and then utilize the 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 I'm going to say quote excess weight to then transform that. It would be very easy to do it because obviously the 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 optimum weight that you're wanting to get to, you retain it. So that's one way. Of, so it's called a dirt. It's the dirty way of doing it. So you eat whatever you want, get up to that, and then you'd cut to then get to a physique that you've feel to be more well aesthetically pleasing for yourself and others viewing it that's one way to do it the other way is to do it simultaneously with the nutrition that you do it in stages so the training will dictate how much you eat so this is probably where people get it wrong because they don't know whether or not they're in um well what we would term in if I was talking to a colleague is a calorie deficit. So it's as simple as that. To in order to in your case you wouldn't go on a calorie deficit, you'd go on a calorie surplus to be able to allow you to eat more, but then you're not having the the session that you're doing in the gym detract from you utilizing energy. Because the body, if it doesn't got enough fuel, it's gonna take it from where you don't want where you sorry where you don't want it to go from. So if you are trying to put on muscle, the body's gonna take this the energy from where it's gonna go to the muscles to fuel itself normally. So if you're not getting enough food in, the body's gonna go well. Okay, this this energy that we've got that's going to the muscles, we're gonna take that and deplete it. So it wouldn't be able to help the muscle to recover and grow. Uh, and then on the other hand, if I was to ask and to poll most people, they don't know if they're even in a maintenance phase, which is obviously to stay at the weight that they're at. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know what it is. They don't know what in, um, generally speaking, if you were to look on food labels, a male needs to be on two, two, two and a half thousand, two and a half thousand and a female on two thousand. Most people probably in the West are not doing that. It's probably way above that if they were to track it. Yeah, it'd probably be like three thousand plus. Um, but what 
people want to do is obviously look to dieting to maybe overcomplicate the pro- the procedure as okay do i need to go on a meal prep do i need to go to, to understand macros no unless you want to obviously have the understanding of the t- one or the other or the two combined it doesn't need to be a difficult i've done this as a video if people want it uh to literally break it down as what you need to do in order to lose weight if people will go away and implement that they will lose weight so when i engage um, you in this process yeah. You will you will make those specific recommendations. You will get into the weeds with me on Yeah, but let's you look at what 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 is your goal? Why is it important for you to achieve that? What is the time frame that so literally utilizing you know what smart goals are. Literally I'd using like to every think so. so so for people that don't know it. So obviously S stands for specific, M is measurable. I can't think what the A stands for. R is realistic and t-, t is for time specific. So what what in what effect how long do you want to take in order to reach your goal? Some people obviously they they cut themselves short because the the goal is either not specific enough, so there's no there's no why as what what's the real reason behind you want to lose weight? If it's somebody that family member are telling you you need to lose that's not going to help you because ultimately there's there is no none of skin in the game when it gets tough to keep to keep with uh, be having resilience, being disciplined, and having perseverance to follow through with what you say we're going to do. Uh, the other one that probably goes to the two together would be people. Some people's goals are not realistic, so either the time constraints is too short. Uh, there's no time frame whatsoever, so then it kind of gives the person a free pass because it's like, well, if I don't have a set goal, be it I want to lose weight for my birthday, I've got a wedding coming up, I want to look good uh, for my son or daughter walking down the aisle, that's specific because there's a set time of, hey, I need to be this this weight because yeah. there's going to be photographic evidence of me being <laughs> potentially maybe a weight I or, or look I don't want to look like. Yeah, right. So it, you need, it needs to be, those three need to be looked at. But obviously you need to look at the importance of why are the, why is the individual wanting to put on some size? Why does the person want to look at weight? Because that's going to be, what they needed to do when it gets hard because it's like okay i'm going to use a scenario of if you came to me rick and said oh, i want to be able to run around with my kids in the back in the in the backyard without running um without lose, being short of breath it's a big why because there's an emotional attachment to something that's logical yeah and most males or most that i've spoken to in the past they stay in logic very a lot. They they they're almost don't like the feeling of of going into emotions because it makes them feel awkward. Right. But in order to 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 have success in a goal, you need to have an emotional attachment to it because this is why I'm doing it. Doesn't matter what somebody down the street's doing, my coworker, a cousin, whatever. Yeah, they're doing it for their reasons, and it gives you tangibility to kind of go, okay, why am I not feeling it today? James reminded me that 
hey, I want to play with my son or daughter in, in the backyard to not lose, do, to, to not be in shortness of breath. Am I do? Am I moving closer to that? Yes. It's literally a yes or no question. Yeah. So it's harsh to yourself, but as in it kind of goes, well, okay, if I'm not feeling it today because I can't wear my prosthetic, it's not you. You're not giving a free pass, but okay. Well, what else do I need to do differently to still get this session in? Yeah. To to not go. Oh, well, I can do it tomorrow. I can do it next week. I can do it next year. Okay. Well, when are you going to step up to the plate? Because eventually, right, there's going to be a regret in years to come. Oh, I wish I'd have done this sooner. I tend, I tend I'd to not get there. I tend to feel like, for myself, that the only thing that is sustainable for me in terms of getting those results that last, let's call them, that I'm not, I know you've referred to this in, in some of your video blogs and different things, this whole, you know, this yo-yo kind of effect that goes on with people. What I find is that I have to keep reminding myself that my pursuits physically, you know, from a fitness level, emotionally uh, and spiritually, but also from a nutritional level, all of these things are need to be my core values in terms of lifestyle. What is my lifestyle? I don't want to be on a diet. I don't want to be on something temporary. I want to live my life in a certain way that will not only reach, help me reach my goals, but that I never have to circle back and go, oh, what, you know, what's the latest, greatest thing that people are doing? What's the piece of equipment? What's the special diet plan? Oh, everyone's eating grapefruits now. I think I'm going to try that. No. I just want to have something that I can say, this is just the way I live my life. It it gives me all the fuel I need in all these categories to feel my best. And um, I'm actually in much better shape now than I was uh, before I became an amputee. I'm more active now and I engage life in a much different way. And I would think for yourself coming from the coaching perspective it it you know and you touched on this already it's it's such a mental process getting people to understand um you know where those feelings come from and then developing you know that specific sort of methodology about how you cope with those feelings and then how you infuse all of the better habits so that it can be sustainable and I'm guessing the rewards are are pretty fantastic from where you're sitting sometimes. Well, I get loads of buzz out of it when people get success because it it it, sh- it's, it shows that their hard work's paying off. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm gonna add to what you say is a con- is congruency to what you're doing. C- literally, con- um, consistency is doing something over and over again. But you, it, it's the awareness to look at your behaviors and habits with no judgment. This this definitely helps with me looking into like Eastern Eastern philosophies and things like that because 
see uh, Buddhism and Hinduism uh, looks meditation, mindfulness, uh, doing f- things with frequency work. It helps because you're not going to be able to run away from your feelings, no matter how hard you try. You, if you're putting things at, har- at arm's length, I've done it, and literally the thing came steamrolling at me. Yeah, because the the body, my body went. Okay, you're not listening to it, so they're not listening to us. Let's gonna let's hurt you. Let's hurt you where it hurts the most. Your health. I took notice then, but I think most people wait until they hit rock bottom, and some people don't need to. Some people obviously need to hit rock bottom, and then they kind of go, okay, I need to have yeah, wake up call. I need to lose a limb. I need to have a heart attack. I need to have a. Str- I'm not obviously touch wood i'm not wishing anything on on people like that but for some individuals they need to hit there's no lower point in their life and the only way is up but some people don't need to wait that long it's like if you're unhappy with where you're at right now and there is a a brighter future that you can envision for yourself this is a hard, hard skill visualization to kind of picture uh where you'd like to go because if you've never thought about it before it's it's very awkward because like literally i got very good at looking at people's body language people looking over here looking over they think they're trying to find in their head where this thing either resides uh because if you uh, people watch my videos because i do it i do it as well because that's when my eyes are going off screen that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to literally picture the words to, to 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 say before i do it so the visualization cue is built upon that because if you 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 are that michelangelo you are the the Leonardo da vinci of your own life you can create this from this blank canvas in whatever you want it to be because you you are that painter you are that sculpture but you need to have that foresight and the awareness to kind of go, okay, I can see that I have a challenge, a problem, how you want to call it, a term it, and I want to resolve it. So it's not a bad thing to seek out support, help from that. I think males have that challenge a little bit more because it's a male pride to go, oh, no, I can't admit that is a problem. And I've done that recently. My coach went, no, nah, don't do that. If there's inherently a problem and it's making you stressed, we need to know that because then obviously we can put that we can put that fire out when it's little embers versus this massive thing that's engulfing everything and setting fire to other people, (laughs) other people that you 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 care about because literally you're a dumpster fire waiting to happen. Yeah, you're 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 a pretty bad one. No, I, I understand. And what you're doing for the community is incredibly value, valuable. And, and your wisdom as an athlete and someone who has dealt with limb difference, you know, your entire life, please walk through slowly so everyone can under understand completely. Please walk through slowly how we can reach you. Where do we go? How do we sign up? Where do we hit the like button, the, the sign me up button? All of those good things. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you kind of walk the audience through that. You can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram. It's pretty much I'm on every social media platform, so I'll, those will probably be in the links. 
my website is jamesowenroberts.com and there's literally a button literally a button on there uh to book in a 30 minute call with ah uh, uh, louis no no barking <laughs> louis <laughs> it's a great L- dog a name button. <laughs> Well, it's, it's named literally Louis after the king, isn't it? Louis the Fourteenth. Um, it's just such a great name for a dog. There's there's uh, a button on the website to to book in a thirty minute call to to, to have a conversation with me great. to to walk walk through literally what I've done a fraction of to so say what what is it that you want to achieve in your health and fitness? Why is that important to you? What obstacles might come up? What 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 objections do you have that you feel that could get in the way? And what is it that you want? What you want to achieve? Literally walk you through that, and and, and I'll give you a game. I'll give you a game plan, regardless if you sign up or not. Yes, kind Mr. Of go away. Uh, Mr. James Owen Roberts, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad. I kind of feel like we just kind of like scratched the surface a little bit with you. So I'm hoping that at some point I can talk you uh, into coming back at some you can point. Always strong army, wreck. Everybody can do that. <laughs> you don't have to make me do anything. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to come back on in the future. Yeah, I, I, I think there's so much more to talk about with you. And I appreciate your perspective and what you bring to this community. That is actually going to wrap it up for us today. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we will see you next time. Thanks again, James.